0: This is Method to the Madness, a bi-weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley, celebrating Bay Area innovators. I'm your host, Oji Ghearetzian. Today, I'm speaking with Gina Colombato and Meredith Hayes, death educators who recently led workshops entitled The Ultimate Shavasana, where examining death makes life a little bit easier. Welcome to the show, Gina and Meredith. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Tell us what you
1: do and the problem you're trying to solve. The problem that we're trying to solve is that everyone is going to die and no one wants to talk about it. (laughs) It's something that we all have in common. It happens all the time. We all have loved ones who die. And as a death educator, I want to continue to bring creativity and levity into the subject of death and dying so that it becomes something that is so normal instead of fear-based. It would be much more a celebration of whoever has died. So we do death education.
2: What I do is I work as a death doula or an end-of-life doula. And my hope is that we can fill the gap between, oh, the nurses who are working so hard and the caregivers who are coming from their homes and they're exhausted and both sides of the medical professional and the personal, they need help. And so doulas can step in. We are not medical. We offer practical, emotional, and spiritual support, and we can be there when the caregiver needs needs a break, or if the nurses are too busy and can't answer a call right away, we're hoping to make it more of a normal, comfortable situation for everyone.
0: And as a death doula, can you describe things you would do?
2: Yeah. Well, first, the the word doula is from the Greek, and it means to serve, or a female servant or female slave. And while I don't love that, there (laughs) is some truth to it. We serve. That's what we do. And um, we don't have to be females. The majority of us are. Like I said before, it's non-medical, and we can do pretty much anything. Our job is to serve the family of the dying person and the dying person, themselves and to a larger degree the community. And we do that however we can, whether it's running errands for someone, whether it's holding a ceremony of some sort, or calling in a spiritual counselor, whatever it is, and really just holding space for them and whatever they need.
0: Sounds like it's really important work. I'd like to follow up about the fear of death that Gina mentioned. There seems to be a taboo around acknowledging dying and there's silence around planning for death. Why is it so hard for us to talk about this? I think
1: it moved from being very home-based in during the Civil War when we had soldiers going across country and they would die somewhere else. And we needed them to get home. We wanted their bodies home. Before that, someone would die in the neighborhood and you would bring them to the parlor, which we now call the living room, oddly enough. Mm -hmm. And you would gather and you would lay out your dying or your dead and everyone in the neighborhood would come and the women would wash the body and there would be preparation of the coffin by the men. It was very divided, but it was also very familial and very community-based. You knew who was dying, and you knew when they were dying, and you knew how they died, and it was all very open. Whereas for us, we've turned death into dirtiness, and it's like you don't touch a dead bird, it's going to be toxic, or you don't get near a dead body, it's going to smell. We've really created that from the Civil War, because these bodies were far away and we needed to get them home, so we started the embalming process. And the embalming made it easier to get a body across the country. What happened at that time, though, is we started looking at, there are only certain people who know how to take care of bodies, and those are the embalmers. We shifted at that point that only someone who is going to embalm knows how to take care of a body. And we are bringing back home funerals because we want to remind ourselves that death isn't scary, it's perfectly normal, it's not dirty, it's not, yes, there can be blood, there can be just like birth, which is the, you know, birth doulas and the end-of-life doulas. It's like, it's messy. Life is messy, but it's also so amazing and brilliant and you know we can all share in it. So when someone dies, you don't have to say, quick, get someone to take away this smelly body. A body can be in your home for three days. It can be even longer if you're just putting it on ice and everyone can come and say their goodbyes and reminisce about that person.
2: I think we've made death seem like an emergency and it really isn't. There's When a person dies, there's nothing to do. The status isn't going to change. The first thing that I think people should do when they're with someone who dies is take a breath and mm. just sit and be. And don't rush and don't pick up the phone and don't call out for the nurse. You don't need to do that. It's not an emergency.
1: And people do find things that are important to them at that time. And it may be something as simple as singing to the dead or bringing the family in to touch the dead or reading a poem or telling stories about that person. And that person's not going anywhere and they're not rotting away. They're just a body that's lying there. And you can enjoy all the memories of who they are right there. They're there with you. Your
0: perspective is that this is just a natural part of the process of living.
2: Yes, exactly. And I it's think it's just the
0: end stage.
2: Yeah. And we need to also, part of the education is. Letting our kids know about this and to open up the conversation for not just adults, but for the younger ones as well, because we hide away our old people. And unless you have the fortune of living with your grandmother or something, kids don't really talk to old people that much. And there's so much wisdom and so much beauty there. We need to work on that. We really, really do.
0: Religion and medicine are the usual realms that death is discussed. Mm -hmm. However, in Mexico, loved ones who've died are acknowledged and celebrated. Is our fear of death a Western or an American phenomenon?
1: You know, it's hard to say American because we're made up of everything, right? So <laughs> that's a little tricky. But yes, um, it's definitely more Western culture. At the same time, there's Mexico in the Western culture. So it's very different, you know, group to group and how we've been raised. I like that you mentioned Dia de los Muertos because Coco is the film that came out last year that just covered everything in a playful way. It was very joyous. It was very easy for everyone to watch. There was a little bit of the Disney piece in there that you just go, really? But it opened that door. As culturally some religions do talk about it, you may also have that someone understands it from their religious perspective, but they still have terror.
0: And what is thanatology? So
1: thanatology is the study of death. We got into the study of death, that's where we met.
2: Yes, we met at the Open Center in New York City four years ago. Mm -hmm. We did a nine-month study in a course called
1: The art of dying. dying.
2: (laughs) And I think that's how I I describe thanatology, because it covers so much. Um, And we talked about every aspect, the physical aspects of dying, spiritual, emotional, historical, you name it, we covered it.
1: Part of what um, the thanatology brought to us is that there are so many ways to look at death. And you had mentioned medicine and religion. And in medicine, we don't study death. We study how to not die. That becomes a real problem because doctors aren't trained, raised, experienced in saying, oh, this person's going to die. How great. Like that's not reality in a hospital. That's what they've been trained is to save us. You know, that's how we've given them that job. It's like, you need to save us. And you'll find some people who really, and we learned this in school from a palliative care doctor, there are some people who want to stay alive stay alive. What are you going to do by being alive? I want to have more chemo. Well, what are you going to do with more chemo? Stay alive. Is that really living or is that just surviving or what exactly is that? And doctors are supposed to offer everything they can. Yeah. And as a culture, again, we don't say, oh, you know what, that may be pretty miserable. Do you want to go that route? Because otherwise, maybe hospice and a doula and end-of-life practitioners that know how to offer, what can you do in this body that you still want to do while you're here?
2: Right. There's definitely a way to live while you die. and that gets overlooked. And what matters to someone at the end of life may not matter to someone else. And um, we've heard stories of people who all they want to be able to do is be with their kids and eat chocolate ice cream. And that's to them, that's living. And if they can't do that, then they're done. And those are the questions that doctors are now starting to ask, you know, what is it that makes you want to wake up in the morning. We hope to see more and more of that, but doctors aren't aren't taught that in their schools and we do see it changing now, which is awesome.
0: That's great. That gives us hope. Yes. And what is the standard practice in the field of thanatology? Is it bereavement counseling? As a culture, we are very
1: grief-based. Grief actually comes from a French word that is to burden, and I think that we all sign up for the burden. By looking at death as grief, as loss, instead of as the joy of that person was with you for as long as they were, what a different experience we'd be having. Bereavement is one that, yes, it's very important to be able to sit with someone, and and this is one of the parts of an end-of-life doula, is being able to sit with the family in anticipatory grief, in that place where the person is not all the way gone but they may be gone in their minds but their body is still there so that pain is is pretty intense because you love someone that's really not the way that you want them to be and so those kind of places of bereavement to be able to sit in that and say that's painful it really is and tell me more about that person tell me more who are they Because they lived, and we tend to focus on they're gone.
0: What have you found to be like a common need? I, with patients that you've
2: well, every helped. every person is different, mm-hmm. and every death is different. I try really hard. We were taught this too: to you walk into a situation and let everything go. No expectations. Your own baggage. You got to deal with that first, or else it's just trouble. Walking into a situation, it can be anything, and you have to be okay with that. Um, people grieve differently. They can be freaking out and screaming and yelling. There could be tears, or there could be silence. And as a doula, you accept that and you just embrace it and let the people do whatever they have to. As for the dying person, again, it could be anything. I've seen a lot of sadness. I would call it sadness. I've seen fear and hope, a lot of hope. Also, humor there's some very yes. funny things that happen at the end of life. And I have some of my best memories, gosh, from, from people who were who were dying. That's a hard question to answer because it's all over the map. I think you get every single emotion.
0: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Method to the Madness, a biweekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley, celebrating Bay Area innovators. Today's guests are Gina Colombato and Meredith Hayes. They are speaking about their recent workshop series entitled, The Ultimate Shavasana, Where Examining Death Makes Life a Little Bit Easier. I wanted to now ask about your workshop. So the flyer read, The Ultimate Shavasana, Where Examining Death Makes Life a Little Bit Easier. Lose your fear of dying. Get wrapped in a lively conversation and then in a beautiful shroud or coffin. (laughs) How... Are you innovating in this field of death education? And tell us about your workshops. When we started, I
1: was like, this is what I want to
0: do. It's a dream of getting people to get
1: really close to their fears. And really what their fears are is about the love of their bodies, or their love of someone that has left, or their love of someone that they don't want to die. So it's really all about love, which sounds so corny, but it's so true. To me, it's like, Okay, how can we remind people that you're invited to come look at why it's so fearful and then touch upon how could we make it less fearful? I like to add art into it. I like to add creativity so it's not all black and dark and dungeon-like.
2: I call it part death cafe, part meditation, part party because there is a celebration aspect to it. There is a point where you're invited to climb into a coffin or get wrapped in a shroud and do a short meditation. People have come out of that. Transformed seems like a a large word, but um, I would say transformed. And there's this look of relief and happiness. That's not to say it's super scary beforehand. I I, I don't want to. It is for some people, but not for everyone. It's a safe place. It's very calm, but happy. We are planning on taking this all around
1: to continue to invite people to look more closely and laugh more closely with and around death and dying. We have been in Maine and New York and Berkeley, but it is a serious, it's a serious step. It's two hours.
2: Yeah, it's it's pretty, pretty powerful. And back to where we hope to have these workshops, we're reaching out now to uh, hospice groups and hope to be part of their training and offer the workshop to the volunteers so the volunteers can get sort of up close and personal and and take the experience when they go volunteer with, with hospice patients.
1: For anyone who doesn't do yoga, shavasana is the corpse pose that is for the ultimate letting go at the end of oftentimes yoga classes. It has a long, long history
0: of being that hardest thing to experience. Well, you sound like you're both these containers for holding it all together for folks to take this like risky step and check out their fears and demystify a little bit and Mm -hmm. think critically about what they're wrapped up in. Yes. Who attends your workshops? Is there a social group or a cultural group that's more open to talking about our mortality? I've been doing death cafes probably for about four or five years. Um, Had so
1: many people come through, and usually I would expect it would be all elders. But actually, there's quite a few of the 20 somethings, 18 to 35 somethings. It's a huge age range, and people have different reasons they're there. Someone might come because they have cancer and they're in their 80s and they just are kind of saying, I think I have everything in order, but you know, I'm here to learn anything else. And you think how great they've shown up. And then someone else will arrive and they're 18 and their best friend just did an opioid overdose. And it's a hard thing because nobody wants to talk about it. With suicide, I will always turn it around and say, instead of the person, you know, they took their life, I will always say they gave their life. Because if you Just look at it from that angle. They were here as long as they could stay. So maybe they were here for 18 years. Like, they gave their life for 18 years. What were they like? Tell me about them. We forget that piece because we focus on the end, that last hour, and that's how we define the person forever after. You're shifting
0: the focus from the the loss to the gift to what was given. So important.
2: And I just want to say some people show up to these events not knowing why they're showing up. Yes. Um, there's a lot of that when we ask, oh, what brought you here? I, I don't know. They'll say, I, I just I've always been interested in death. And in this circle of people, people are nodding. Oh, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I mean, when I say it now, it sounds a little weird, but it makes all the sense in the world. And people are exploring. They, They want a place to be able to talk about this.
0: Yeah, because it's not something you grow up with. You're not learning it at school or in your family. If there's taboos around it, then it's like unsafe to ask anyone. Yeah. yes.
1: I think what the humor is, is that we all are going there. And when you start talking about it, people will say the most amazing things. You know, we've had a woman say, like, what is the worst thing that could happen to your body? And she says, I know this is odd, but I'd actually, I've thought of having my legs cut off, and I think that wouldn't be so bad because I would become the best swimmer. Now, we're just sitting there looking, (laughs) going, huh, okay, well, that's good. But she's thought about it, and she hasn't told anyone anything like that, and yet that's her getting closer to letting go of her body. Like, how could I let go? What would be comfortable? What will that be like?
2: And there was a woman who wanted her body to be eaten by alligators. Mm -hmm. And she was dead serious. And she was dead serious. And when we said, well, what is your how would you like to go? She didn't she didn't miss a beat. And she said, I'd like to be pulled apart by alligators.
1: And And don't tell my mother until after it's done. And for us, it's it's really quite amazing to find out how hard it is for people to sign up for these workshops. People are so fearful that it's, you know, please don't talk to me about it. No, I can't show up. If we talk about
0: it, we're going to die. Yep, that's true, but maybe not tomorrow. (laughs) You know. (laughs) When you educate about dying and death, do you also share information about what options folks have for what to do with their bodies?
1: Yes, we have lots of what to do. And and different states have different things that they can do with bodies. So, first of all, there are dead bodies everywhere, and we don't know that. You know, in a hospital, there's tons of dead bodies. They're just not prating them through for you. But that's where people go to die. So we forget that, and we think, oh, my God, really? There's dead bodies? It's like, yeah, and that's normal, and that's okay, and those people were loved. They're all fine. And then some of the green burial options are instead of we— like to think of cremation as a very green way to go, but actually it's incredibly toxic. The mercury and the Toxicity that goes into the air from all the burning, even with the filters, is pretty extreme. In Maine, which is where I'm living now, has alkaline hydrolysis, which is water cremation. It's also called aqua cremation and bio cremation, where you put the body into basically a big canister, and it's all stainless steel. The body is on a rack. It fills with water. They put potassium, I believe, some kind of a, a mix to break down the pH level and then every part of the body except for the bone just disintegrates and it goes into the water system as no DNA there's no DNA in the water it's all just liquid and it's perfectly fine to go into the water system people say yuck it's going to the water system forgetting that when a person is embalmed everything that's taken out of that body goes straight into the weight system this is fascinating we are so not informed
2: (laughs) true and a lot of people are are turning to green burials and choosing to be wrapped in just shrouds or bamboo caskets or cardboard Caskets and and just being put into the ground. Also, there's a lot of movement for making your own caskets. And I don't know if you've seen this, or caskets that are made so they flop into furniture, like a bookcase that you can use until you're ready for it, to use it as a casket. <laughs> so you can get to know it um, and like live with it for a while <laughs> until um, you die with it. Yeah, until you die with it. Yeah. So this, so I'm sure there's going to be more creative things coming
1: up. It's exciting. I mean, there are there are different ways that we're looking, and people are trying and planting bodies and. Yeah. <laughs> what people have an illusion about is that when someone is burned in cremation and you have ashes they say oh i'm going to plant a tree in these ashes well that's not really good for the tree that they won't grow in ashes there's not a whole lot of good stuff for the tree
0: in ashes but you can put them around a tree how did you find your way into this field
2: i was one of those kids that always liked to talk about death it was pretty open in my family we always talked about how we wanted to die and where we wanted to be buried or cremated and it was like a, a conversation around the kitchen table so there was that. But then my dad died about six years ago. He and I didn't know much about the industry and he was in hospice his last four days. It actually was awful. I think in retrospect, I think part of the awfulness was because I wasn't informed and everything came as a shock to me. Also, I think We did not have a Cracker Jack staff at the time at the hospice, but it was painful for my entire family. And my dad was someone who was in service of other people his whole life. And for him to struggle and suffer this way, it just seemed completely wrong and extremely difficult to get through. And on the third day, he was there four days on the third day, I just I had lost it. And I thought, why is this happening to this man who is like the greatest kindest man. It it was like a slap on the side of my head. I thought, "Oh my god, he's doing this for me." He was like, "Yo, wake up, daughter." <laughs> and and see what what I'm doing for you because this is what we need. We need people to figure this out and to make it so that no one else has this experience. Once I had that thought, I thought, "Okay, well, let's do it then." It was his definitely his last gift to me. I went away from there thinking that I got to do something. And it took a couple of years to figure it out. Googling end of life opportunities, death jobs, you know, and then I made my way to the open center. And that's where it all started. Yeah. So it was very personal. And, and it wasn't until I worked through all this baggage with my dad that I was able to be ready to help other people, because I think that's super important. You have to do the work. It's hard and it takes a long time but you can't go on to serve others until you've got that figured out.
0: And how about you, Gina? How did you find your way into this field? I have a lot
1: of people who have died and who I've loved dearly, and they've all had different deaths. Um, I happen to have a larger amount of people who've given their own lives or slash taken their own lives. Even when I was younger, and people would be very critical of that, I just had a different feel towards it. I thought, well, it's another way to leave. And I know that just riles people. At the same time, I think that we emphasize mental illness. And yes, I think that that can play a part in it. And I also think that there are some people who they're just done. They've had a good life. They've lived their lives and they're done. It's easier for us to accept that when they're 85 years old than if they're a 25-year-old. And who's to know? You know, we just don't know. So I think it's always been this intrigue that I haven't looked at death as the worst thing ever, but more a real curiosity and how we all get there is so fascinating.
0: The poet Mary Oliver wrote Mm -hmm. in When Death Comes, when it's over, I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. What does it mean to die well? And what does a good death look like to you?
2: Personally, a good death for me would be I I would like to be aware. I hope not to be in pain. I think that's pretty universal thought for people. But really, I want to know what's going on. And I would like to be able to relay what's going on to those around me, especially my family and my son. If things go according to, you know, the laws of nature, I will go before him and I won't be there with him when he dies. And so I would like to give him the gift of explaining what I'm experiencing so that maybe he'll experience the same thing or maybe he won't be scared when something comes up. And I think if he can then pass that on, then I guess a good death to me would be to leave that legacy.
0: And Eugenia?
1: I don't know if there is such a thing as a good death. And and. A good death, I think, as with everything, it's individual. Because if I weren't aware, and I have been around people who are leaving with dementia, and people say, oh, I would just hate to have dementia, but you don't know. And the person who has dementia seems, we don't know, but seems to be perfectly fine. And it's almost a gift to those around them and it may look like a very uncomfortable death but maybe that's the gifting like your papa gave you is there's a gift there i would love to say that i go with grace you know who knows and i ask in death cafes over and over and over what's a good death and it's so individual i mean a good death for one person is i'm all alone I'm on a mountain and I have a heart attack and someone else is. I have my whole family around me and I've had cancer for six months so I can say goodbye to everyone. And it's loud and the kids have pans and they're dancing around and, you know, and you're thinking,
0: oh, well, those are both the good death. Young people, children are not very prepared for talking about the last days. And most deaths happen out of sight in hospitals. How do you help youngsters navigate? What can we do to educate the next generation?
2: Well, I'm going to say that I don't agree with the fact that they're not ready to talk about it. I think, in fact, they're more ready than anyone else. It's just that people don't know how to bring it up with them, how to educate them. I think we just need to start the conversations. There's a way to get some sort of education into the schools, and I, I don't know what that is yet. I think if they can talk about sex ed, why can't they talk about death ed? No difference there. At my house, my boy has a death plan for his pet snails. We know that he wants them cremated, and, and he wants to bury them, and you know we talk about that, and he knows what I want. and It's a normal conversation for us. We went to the dentist, and the fish in the fish tank had died. And the nurse ran over, oh, don't look, don't look, don't look. And he said, he stepped right in front of her, and he said, oh, don't worry, my mama knows everything about death. (laughs) And the nurse was like, what are you talking about? But that fish shouldn't be whisked away without any explanation. I think it just has to be normalized, and I hope that there'll be some programs. I hope to work on that in my communities. Yeah.
1: And I want to add to that, that we do talk with children about death. We just talk in the same mode of fear, because Mm -hmm. we are taking kindergartners to active shooter drills in their school. So you have five and six-year-olds who are learning how to not die because it's going to be really terrifying, and this is what we need to do to avoid that at all costs. And that's what they hear about death. And then they hear that someone famous died, and the flag is at half-mast, but we don't really talk about that. It's just, you know, you're supposed to be quiet and honor it, but not really talk about it. So I think that, as Meredith says, that's so important to have the conversation. If people
0: want to learn more about your innovative work and get more information about your workshops, how can they contact you?
1: I actually... Make contact on Instagram with just the fine art of living and dying. If you look up the ultimate shavasana, we will be taking that around. And so that will pop up. Another way to reach us would be through email, which is, and then what happens at Gmail? Because we really don't know.
0: We (laughs) tend to think of death as a separate thing and not connected at all to the living process. And that's where we need to shift our thinking and expand life to include the ending chapter. Similar to other transition points in life where we get help and guidance, like with the birth process, college counseling, athletic coaching, career sure. building, wedding, yes. Yeah. Yes, or wedding marriage planning. counseling. Sure. yeah end of life is just another phase for which we can also get support. And I want to thank you, Gina and Meredith, for sharing about your process and the important work that you do to bring death and dying into the discussion about how we live. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much.
0: You've been listening to Method to the Madness, a biweekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley, celebrating Bay Area innovators. You can find all of our podcasts on iTunes University. We'll see you again in two weeks.